0: hey? Yeah? Where's all the dunny paper? Oh yeah. There's none in the bathroom. Must be out then. Well there was like ten rolls in there last week. Yeah. So like that's a roll a day. Yeah. What are you like shitting ten times a day or something? No. Hey look I'm not having a go at you. I'm just trying to understand why you need so much of it. Okay, here's how it goes. I pee, I wipe, okay? Yeah. Okay, then I use my intimate wipes. Your intimate wipes?
1: Yes, then I grab some more toilet paper
0: and
2: I wipe again.
0: Why do you wipe again?
2: Because my intimate wipes
1: are wet. I can't be walking around all wet down there, can I?
0: Okay, so how much, like when you grab the toilet paper to dry yourself, how many squares are we talking?
1: I don't go by squares. I scrunch.
0: Why don't you just take one square, or fold, uh, uh, Because
1: I'll get pee on my hands. That's why I scrunch. You don't want me touching you with pee on my hands, do you? Don't you wash your hands afterwards? Yes, I do wash my hands. I'm sorry, can you not afford one roll of toilet paper a day?
0: Hey, I can buy a truckload of this stuff.
1: Then why are you being such a dick?
2: hello. Welcome to Killer Casting. I'm Lisa Zambetti. I'm a casting director in Los Angeles, probably best known for my work on CBS's Criminal Minds, but I've worked on many other projects, including the upcoming FX show Reservation Dogs, written and directed by Taika Waititi and Sterling Harjo. So I hope you will check that out when it starts. In any case, I've cast serial killers, psychopaths, detectives, Appalachian, hapless, crime thugs, Meth addicts, white supremacists, creepy roadkill truck drivers, kidnappers, women who are trans, and sleazy strip club owners. But you know, I've never cast an actor who has played all of those roles. And as you all know, <laughs> as part of our deep dive into Mr. In Between, we've been so lucky we've been able to chat with a lot of the cast of The Extraordinary Show. And today, my sexy beast, Brian. And Dean and I are so psyched to talk to one of, seriously, the most transformative actors that I've ever seen. Our guest today is...
0: Damon Harriman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's your Sorry, cue. That was my cue. That's yeah, my cue. Okay. We <laughs> okay.
3: Okay. Okay. Should, okay. should probably make Let's, that clearer, like, that they should know yeah, her name, but it's okay. No, <laughs> yeah. no, it's totally cute.
2: Oh, Damon, Part of the thank fun. you. Damon, thank you so much for joining us. We've been breaking down Mr. In-Between. We've been so captivated by the show for a lot of reasons. Brian and I, Brian's a casting associate. I'm a casting director. So we look very closely at the casting and how everything came together. And when I saw Mr. In-Between, I recognized you, but I sure as fuck did not recognize Scott Ryan. And (laughs) yeah, and yet he had (laughs) such presence that I was sure that he must have been on a million things. Now, you have been on a million things. You have such an extensive career, some of the roles that I've listed. But I want to talk to you about, you know, your role on Mr. In-Between. And how would you describe Freddie? And how would he describe himself?
0: (laughs) I think how Freddie would describe himself would be quite different from how I would describe Freddie. (laughs) Freddie Freddie would probably say that he was suave, charming, charismatic, fashionable. (laughs) yes. Yeah, I probably wouldn't use any of those words. Freddie's kind of a bit of a tryhard. His fashion's all a little bit off. He thinks he's kind of cool guy about town. He runs this sleazy strip club. I think in that world, he thinks he's pretty cool. And he probably is to some people in that world. But to viewers of Mystery in Between, he's anything but.
2: <laughs> it's so funny because just watching your other performances and comparing them to Freddie, this is like maybe one of the most laid back performances. That I've seen you do. I mean, it's just very natural, but he's very fussy, as you were saying. He's got the Italian merino wool sweaters and the Gucci loafers. And so it's so interesting that, that you play him with a certain finickiness and a fussiness about him, his clothes, his coffee, his house. <laughs> the toilet paper, all this stuff. I think it's just such a wonderfully uh, written character. And and just you play it such a it's such a contrast in some ways because it's in such a dirty world. When we had Scott Ryan on, he was saying that, that he's he's pretty loose with some of the dialogue. Do you yeah. Think- do you feel that in the scenes with him that you could be loose?
0: Oh, 100%. I mean, it's an absolute joy to work on that show because, I mean, for several reasons, the characters are so beautifully created and written, but there is there is also a, a very relaxed feel to the whole thing, and that's uh, really a combination of Nash Edgerton, who directs every episode, and Scott Ryan, who writes every episode. Getting to act with Scott is amazing too because the guy doesn't act. I mean, he, <laughs> I, I've never, I've never... I've never worked with an actor who is so real. Like he, he, he there's no difference between action and cut with him. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's like, other than killing people, uh, you know, he, he kind of, he kind of uh, doesn't change between uh, being Scott Ryan and and uh, being Ray. He, he's extraordinary. So that kind of, I think, you know, in terms of the natural kind of performance style, he, he brings that out of everybody. I think, but he's also, as you say, really relaxed about the dialogue. Not that you want to change or add much at all, because it's so well written on the page. But occasionally, it just even knowing that you can throw in a little line here or, or a, an, a word here or there, it just I think makes you feel relaxed. You don't feel like, oh God, some script supervisor is going to come over saying, why did you say this word and not that word? And we often come up with new bits on the day. What if I say this? Or what if I do that?
3: This is the thing that's so funny, just in terms of how we perceive Freddie. And I was just thinking about this the opening scene of episode one, where you're not even there. It's just a phone call. Like, Freddie wants to talk to you, right? Like, the guy fucked up the money or whatever. And then the guy gets thrown over the railing. And it's like, and that's because of Freddie. Freddie makes that happen. And so we're already as an audience invested in this guy, is like, he's a guy who gives an order that then Ray takes action on, right? And so we have this sense of like, oh, he's like the boss. And then, the character is so different than any kind of crime boss that we've ever seen. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like Ray, Ray has the power. It's like, it's such a, it's such an interesting dynamic. And it's one of those elements in the show that all of us have just been like, it's so refreshing to, to have these tropes just fall by the wayside. And we have like these fully formed characters where we don't need to know their entire backstory. We don't need exposition, right? They just kind of like, they're there, right? And we understand who they are. How much backstory did you get from from Scott in terms of like the the character and and bringing this guy off the page yeah
0: I, I I don't know that I don't know that there was any. um I think it was basically just what was what was there when you met Freddie in the first place, which that he ran this club, that Ray worked there, that he often funnels jobs to Ray to do hit, hit jobs, other kind of crime related jobs other than that, no, I don't think there was the color that kind of came out of the character was. It really in the comedic situations that Scott would write. Things like, like th- there's that whole bit, I can't remember which episode it is where, where <laughs> Ray says, what's with the no socks? You know, and he's like, <laughs> it's like what do you mean? It's fashion. That that actually was something that, that Scott had just noticed that they had dressed me with no socks and it just suited the character so well. It was actually a previous episode where Scott had ad-libbed that, you know, what's with the no socks. For some reason, it didn't end up in that episode, but he then wrote it into the script of a later one because we both found it so funny. <laughs> I
1: love well, that. That, that. That episode's actually called, what is it? Socks are important. Is it really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Dean, Dean, go ahead. I know you have a bunch of questions for Damon.
1: Yeah, I I do. And I want to thank Brian for stealing both of my uh, first two questions (laughs) for Damon. So I'll just quickly observe that. I thought it was interesting, correct me if I'm wrong, but you met Nash about 20 years ago, but you also met Scott sort of around the same time when when he did The Magician. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, I I met Nash first. I, I probably met Nash around Hmm. Yeah. Around the late '90s, uh, I think I met his brother Joel, who people would know Joel Edgerton yeah, as an actor. I met Joel in the mid '90s uh, when he'd just come out of the drama school and <clears throat> was appearing in plays and things around Sydney. I would have met Scott whenever the short of the magician screened at the St Kilda Film Festival, which is which is where Nash saw it as well. I think I was even at the same session that Nash was at oh. and was was oh, yeah. was just blown away by this. Film, you know, I remember watching it because for people who don't know, uh, I'm sure you guys have talked about it, it's shot like a mockumentary, which is where it differs from the series, a camera crew following a hitman. But when you're (laughs) you're initially watching it, Scott is so real and it's shot documentary style. I remember thinking that I was watching a documentary initially and, of course, then he starts shooting people and you're like, Wait wait a minute! That can't that can't that can't be right. right.
1: <laughs> it can't yeah. be a documentary that goes around with someone shooting people. Um, <laughs> but that's just how good Scott is. Yeah, it's um, it's it's funny. I read about that original. Two thousand and five was when he released The Magician, and and it famously shot on mini DV, which is a uh, you know the old square format four three, and for three thousand dollars. And uh, I, I remember Scott saying two things. One, I think it's the first film in history where the entire cast is the entire crew and the entire crew is the entire <laughs> cast. And, right. and I think he also said that the, the catering budget for Mystery Between Series 1, Ep 1, exceeded the total budget for The Magician, just just right. that. so that gave you an idea of where he was coming from. So Brian's already covered some things there, but I, just getting back to that relationship with, with you and Ray, some fans call you Ray's boss, and but as Brian's already said, and you just said as well that you kind of funnel him these jobs. I mean, Ray only does, even though you call him up and say, "Hey, you know, you know, go and deal with this guy." And as Lisa said, you tip him over the balcony, or you go and he goes and collects the ten grand from the guy that that you owed him the money for. But it, right. you can't make him do squat, right? And <laughs> and and particularly the way, if you if you if you want to understand the power dynamic between you and Ray. Oh, that scene, literally the scene where you, the two of you enter your house with Ray. Ray's got the shotgun underneath the jacket. You're going, you know, he's trying to find out who took the girl in that episode. And yep. you say, just keep calm, just keep calm. And he goes, yeah, I'm fine, mate. Yeah, it's all good. I'm good to go. And as soon as he walks through the door, out comes the gun, boom, boom, boom. And he's going to execute <laughs> granny. He doesn't give a fuck what you think at all, right? It's not at all. all. No, it's like you pay him to bounce, and you know, which is small potatoes in terms of money. And I suspect for Ray, it's like, well, that's just cover for him having a job, right? He doesn't make his money out of whatever you pay him per hour for bouncing. But you're his Mister Fifteen Percent. You go, yeah, yeah. You're the guy who knows a guy, right? so yeah, when, Exactly. When when somebody comes to you, it's that. So I just sort of wondered, how do you see the relationship between the the two of you, and and do you think? that Freddy's maybe, as a character, Freddy's just maybe a little bit scared of Ray?
0: Oh, I think so. I mean, we I think we've seen glimpses of that. We certainly see some of that in in what's coming up in season three as well. Yeah, no, I think he's definitely knows to keep on Ray's good side. He, he knows what Ray's capable of. I think Freddy is all kind of is all bluster, really. He's he's pretty timid. I mean, we've seen what he's like around spiders um, yes. <laughs> that, are on the, that are, you know, on the other side of the room, on the wall. Um, you know, I think that sums up Freddie perfectly, his reaction to that spider.
2: So since Dean brought up the end of uh, season two, so it was very actually was such a very pensive scene when you have to fire fire ray did you mm-hmm. think that you i mean it's a big breakup you know that relationship did you think that you would be coming back in season three or did you feel like well that's the end of this arc of this character
0: yeah no i so, i mean look when we finished season two uh, my understanding was there probably wasn't going to be a season three only because both nash and scott were just exhausted i mean mm-hmm. th- th- you know it's incredibly rare For one person to write an entire season of TV, and it's incredibly rare for one person to direct an entire season of TV, and those guys do it every time, it's just exhausting for them. And in Australia, you know, it would be exhausting anywhere, but I think. In Australia, there are just also less resources all round in terms of, you know, in America, that might happen, but there'd be the support of a writer's room or, it, you know, they get to the end of a season and they're absolutely smashed. So at that point, I didn't know if this show was going to come back at all just for that reason. And then when I heard it was coming back, because Ray no longer works for Freddie, I did wonder whether whether Freddie would come back. I was hoping he would because it's such a fun role and it's it's also my favorite show to watch it's 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 literally my favorite show oh, and, wow. and and i've been in a lot of shows that i've loved to watch but i've never acted in my favorite show before
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing i noticed yeah. um, but i noticed that in um, in season three you're you're in the i think you're in the second episode and you're talking to him in jail but then you have a scene on a yacht in in one of the episodes and i think you only have two words i mean you Mm. don't even have really any (laughs) lines but you are the kind of actor who has such presence i just I just thought that was kind of incredible, and and just from the casting point of view, it's hard for us to justify bringing on a guest actor to do two words. I mean, that would be we'd be like, come on, <laughs> come on, why would he come and just do two words? Give him something more to do. But I mean, maybe there's more to come that we don't know about because here we've only seen we're only up to yeah, three.
0: yeah, yeah. Well, look, Freddie's definitely in um, in the season less than usual because he just because because Ray doesn't work at the uh, at the club anymore. But mm-hmm. there is there is more stuff coming towards um, the end of season three. With Freddie, yeah. Look, thank you for saying that. I mean, it's, it's yeah, a scene like that. The reason that can can work with so little so little to say is that you, it's it's an established character. You know, if that was a new character appearing in that scene, mm-hmm. it, it, it may not have uh, the same effect. But I think when you're watching any show where you're where you're familiar with the character and and their idiosyncrasies, you you kind of imbue them with everything you've seen them say and do before. That's so when you're watching Freddie, they're hanging on every word and kind of hoping that these two get along and he's kind of, he's like a school kid kind of introducing two of his favourite friends to each other, yeah. you know, and wanting it all to go smoothly. And you kind of, you, you know him well enough to know what's going on in his head and I gotcha. think that's
1: that's why it works. Freddie's a really interesting character because the way Scott's written him, it's it's what we don't know about you that is so important. Like a lot of the other characters are fleshed out, even someone like Dave. He's married, he's got a kid, he wants to call him niece and blah, 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 blah. But there's, you You will, like from that scene on the boat, we just assume that you have this network of ne'er-do-wells who know that you know a guy, right? And and, and But yeah, we, we yeah. don't know much about you apart from the scene with your girlfriend and the toilet paper and then the scene <laughs> at, at home. It's like, well, we don't know what you do outside of this and we just have to assume so much. And it's great because it leaves so much to the imagination. I love it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, it, it, I agree. It, it, you do wonder what, what, what does this, what is this guy's life? Who is he? Yeah. You know, you meet this daughter at one point. You're like, he has a grown, married daughter. Where did that come from? Like, you know, <laughs> Brian. No, I, th- this is the thing I was gonna, and I'm kind of morphing
3: out of Mister in Between and kind of mm-hmm. talking about some other stuff. Please, let's do it. this is this is a rare trait, I think. So honestly, this was the first thing I ever saw you on, and completely age appropriate, right? Whatever. Then, of course, I went back and watched Justified and the transformative quality of the craft is so remarkable. You look the same. I mean, you know what I mean? Like you are your same person (laughs) as Dewey Crow. You are the same person as Freddie. And yet there is something so magical about how you carry yourself that Mm -hmm. you come off as Freddie, as as very self-possessed, as as age appropriate. I mean, I think we're about the same age. Right. I'm 50. You know what I mean? But I can. I know from your IMDb page, your headshot, you have younger features, and I'm sure that that was the bane of your existence as an actor for many years, because you've seen in a certain light, your brain is this age, but your features are a different age entirely. So the thing that's so remarkable is how how you're able to pull off both in such a seamless way without kind of the Charles Manson kind of makeup trickery, which is also another level of expertise. Lisa and I are obsessed with process the difference between the American training and the Aussie and British training. And it seems like it's that, it's that external to internal kind of process. Talk about, can you talk about that a little bit? Like, I know you did a ton of research, like with Charlie Manson stuff, which is completely necessary, but. For these two kinds of characters, any kind of character, what is that process? What does that look like for you? And that's think, a big question. Uh, I
0: apologize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. I, I always, that's, that's a question people ask sometimes and it's, it's. I always have to stop and think about it because I don't think about it. And I, I, di- I didn't train, so I didn't learn a technique uh, of any kind. I just started as a kid and can look back at that stuff and I wasn't very good. It was, you know, that very kind of, Performative child actor style that, that you see sometimes, but I think over the years it's just a case of learning on the job and then seeing performances. You know, I remember seeing The Elephant Man when I was ten or eleven, and go, and watching actually Anthony Hopkins in that was. I mean, John Hurt's amazing, but Anthony Hopkins really blew me away. I was like, who is this guy, and how is he doing? I, I I'd never seen someone. Uh, so real on screen at, at, that, at that point. And I, and, I, and I became obsessed with how do you do that? But in terms of characters like like Freddie, like Dewey Crow, I just put so much of it down to the writing. I, I, I really do. I, I think for me, the character is formed on the page to a large degree. And if it's a well-rounded well-written character with with all the layers, on the page then i read it and go okay i uh, i i can see it it's in, in it's a bit like if you read a a book and you and you're picturing this fully fledged uh, character in a book and you're like i know exactly who that is In a, in a well-written script that's just i feel the same way and i feel like well all i have to do is that i just like well okay i'll do that right. and it right. doesn't necessarily mean i'm i'm always right i mean you know sometimes you know, it's not like I read I read something. And go well. I know how that should be. I think I do at least, and I and I do what I think it should be. And if it's well written, and and Freddie and and Dewey are both examples of characters that are really well written. And and you know, the more it goes on, the more episodes they see what you do when they, you're playing the character, and then they write for you playing the character. So suddenly, it's like it's almost easy when it's when it's that well written. Conversely, it's it's incredibly hard to act well when something's not well written. Right. And and I, I often say that there's a there's a there's a there's a a really kind of um, unfair thing that happens in in your career as an actor where when you're younger and starting out when you need to, the good writing to show what you can do <laughs> you get the crappy writing <laughs> and then when you're established and you're like you don't need it you get all this really good writing to play with the people are like oh wow I didn't know I didn't know you could do this it's like yeah because you saw me doing the crappy writing before right. there's not much you can do with that.
2: But still, it still seems exterior on the exterior, your characters are so different. Do you ever find yourself feeling like, I need this character has different energy. I need a different walk. I need a different way of holding my shoulders. I need I, is that a conscious thing that you might think um externally? I mean, obviously, with Charles Manson, you've got so much source material. You know that you've got to get his shrug down. You've got to get his wobbly. Kind of center down, but you know other. Right. I'm going to talk about Secret City in a minute, but um, I mean, but other roles, do you find yourself wanting to to do something different with yours, with your body or your voice?
0: I certainly love characterization that is different from something I've done before. I, I I do enjoy that. It's not necessarily a conscious, oh, what will my walk be or what will my voice be. It sort of just comes out of the doing it, you know, like mm. there is a certain way that Freddie walks, and it—it's it, probably look a lot of that stuff comes down to actually putting a costume on. You know, Absolutely. you put on those f- yeah. F- yeah. put shoes on those Freddie are- clothes, oh my shoes, gosh. yeah, thing. yeah, that's right, the, the gold bracelets and and yeah. and the kind of the loafers with no socks and the and the kind of open open neck kind of uh, button you know shirts buttoned down, a few buttons open, and all that stuff and the chains, and you suddenly go okay. I know how to walk as this guy, not because I'm going, oh, what what walk can I do? Right, right. But it's just you suddenly start walking a certain way because you've seen that guy walk like that. We've all seen that guy, and that guy has a certain swagger to him because that's why he's wearing those clothes because he's he thinks he's kind of cool. You know, he's got mm-hmm. he's got this kind of almost like uh, he, he's living in suburban Sydney, but he sort of thinks he's in kind of a mafia boss from New York or something. He's kind of <laughs> got that that swagger about him and then dewey uh, similarly you know you put on those ridiculous shorts with the long johns underneath <laughs> and the boots and the and the you know and and also his energy is so kind of like frenetic kind of uh, excitable puppy dog that that does something to you physically as well
2: that's amazing well the very first thing that i ever remember seeing you in was not very long ago in secret city and i was like who is this i mean you were just so stunning you know people who haven't seen secret city i mean there's a very interesting reason why you're so stunning in it is that you play a woman who has transitioned and that you when you're when she was a man she was married to anna torb's character but the cool thing about it is that that almost has nothing to do with the overall plot of the series it just is a thing i mean there are some right. plot twists to it but it's not it has nothing kind of to do with the the premise of the show. You want to talk about that? I mean, there is so much people talk about cisgendered men who aren't really trans, playing trans. I mean, I want to put that aside for a second. I just want to talk about your process and playing Kim Gordon, that role.
1: Uh,
0: yeah, you, that that was sort of what was really fascinating about that was that it wasn't um a trans story it was a a a character that happened to be a trans woman in a in a show and her being trans is is barely kind of um, re- referenced that was a, one of the 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 more difficult jobs in terms of there was a lot more to think about in ter- it wasn't just a case of oh I'll read this and it's all on the page and now I'll just do it there was practical things to take into account like how do you walk in high heels? You know, things that I hadn't done before, getting my legs waxed and 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 that kind of stuff. And it's weird talking about it now because as you referenced, you know, it, 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 that was actually, uh, I got that role in 2015. And I think we shot it maybe the end of 2015. But it was at a time that, uh, you know, it's amazing how things have changed in the last few years. And, uh, you know, being a casting director, you would certainly know that that, you know, there's just absolutely no way that role would have, I wouldn't have been asked to audition. I wouldn't audition for it if it came up now. And I certainly wouldn't have been cast in it. So it's kind of, it's kind of a weird thing because it's so, it's kind of relatively recent and it's still on air. And I do feel a bit funny about the fact that it's there and I did it because at the time it wasn't an issue. They did. I remember saying, you know, when that role came up, this is cool, right? You know, that I'm not trans and And the director had, they said, look, we've tried to, we've looked for um, trans actresses, we haven't found anybody. And that, at that time, that was kind of, Okay, fair enough. And obviously now that's just not uh, that's not an excuse anymore. Um so it is weird, but anyway, look, uh, back to the, the the role itself. I think what I wanted to do, I mean I, I spoke to a, a trans woman uh called Catherine McGregor who's someone who's is slightly in the public eye in Australia. She's in the military and um uh, is often on talk shows and things here, and she was incredibly helpful um talking to me about her life and and uh, everything that transitioning involved for her i think that the thing i, I wanted to be conscious of was being uh, respectful and not in any way making it a, a cartoony or comical or or oh you know i'm or, you know even just things like not doing a high-pitched voice you know yeah, exactly. like I, I, didn't, exactly. I just was was like i i, I certainly will hold myself self a certain way and sit a certain way and walk a certain way but i i don't want to kind of put on female traits you know yeah you did
2: not have any affectation at all Mm. you were just the lady and you walked you marched to work and you sat at your desk I mean there wasn't any like sort of an effeminate affectation at all you were just you kind of in a dress and that's something that I I really respected and with a lot of makeup (laughs) beautiful cheekbones you have I wish I had your cheekbones (laughs) but um, anyway (laughs)
1: uh,
2: okay so let me throw it to my beast what else would you like to ask wonderful Damon
1: uh, well, I, I just want to jump in before we get off, Manson, um, and say observe that, uh, uh, Damon, you're probably in a very exclusive Hollywood club. You might be the only member of that club to being being cast by two different directors in the same role in the same year, uh, of course. But I was curious to know that makeup-wise, you, you you looked kind of quite similar between the two, but working for two very different directors. I wondered about the experience what direction what the direction was like or how much or how little or the style between Tarantino and Fincher.
0: Tarantino uh, is quite spare with his direction doesn't doesn't give a, a a lot he just kind of kind of comes in when necessary he doesn't do a huge amount of takes uh, doesn't do a huge amount of coverage I think that's because Someone was saying he's pretty much edited the film in his head before he shoots it, so he knows exactly what what he needs to shoot to go on screen. But when he when he does give direction, it's it's perfect. Often just things like oh, do a little wave there, or for people who who've seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know, obviously there's not a lot of Manson there, but we did shoot a, a couple of other scenes, and one of them was the biggest scene I had in in the film, uh, which is a scene where Charlie goes to the back of Sharon Tate's house and speaks to someone in the guest house pretty much just sort of pitching himself as a rock star. And it's a beautifully written scene. And and so, yeah, a lot of it was him just kind of coming up with little ideas or even throwing in new lines. It was uh, as much a joy as you can imagine. Mindhunter uh, was actually directed by an Australian director called Andrew Dominic, who um, of course yes. directed yes. Chopper, uh, amongst uh, other things. The new film Blonde, I think it's called, the Marilyn Monroe film that's coming out shortly, who's a brilliant director in his own right. David Fincher was on set for, for a lot of the time, and it was pretty cool, him and chatting to him but Andrew was the director Mindhunter was very different for a number of reasons firstly because there was Kazu's extraordinary makeup which uh, pretty much covered every inch of my face and really did turn my face into Charles Manson it was it was it was extraordinary to, to kind of look at myself in the mirror before going on to set each day but Mindhunter they they do a lot of coverage and a lot of takes that's kind of the show style How do you feel about those murders that's what counts happened in your world not in mine
3: what counts is that you ordered the deaths of seven people eight if you count an unborn baby
0: and now you can reflect it back on me and you can lock me up in your penitentiary and you can say that your world's better the prison's a frame of thought well we're all, we're all our own prison we're we each our, our wardens. own wardens. we do we our, our own time we do our own time prisons in your mind can't you see I'm free? You don't look so free to me, Charlie. You don't look free to me. You look like a composite of what someone told you you are. You live for other people's opinion. You got pain on your face. And you wonder if you look okay. That's it. Hey, man. I like your sunglasses. Can I have them? So that scene, even though it's just ten minutes sitting around a table, took three full days to shoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, at the start of each of those days is four hours or more more, more of, of makeup before you even start rolling. So that was just uh, on a purely physical level. You you know, it, it was it was the, the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I think acting mm-hmm. or or otherwise, really? just 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 the endurance. Oh uh, yeah, because we we also we would shoot the 10-minute scene every time. It wasn't like we were doing it in sections. Oh, so, wow. and oh, And right. I think at the end of the three days, the script supervisor came up to me and said, just so you know, you did that 10-minute scene over 100 times. Oh. And, and, and that is, uh, you know, I, I describe it to friends as... Uh, I describe it to friends as uh, it's it like running a marathon with a gun to your head. I, I actually am not capable of fi- finishing this marathon, but then you look over and there's a gun to your head. It's like, you have to. And it was like big on set going this is like i i am so exhausted i i, I um I, I i couldn't i could really fall over and have a nap but you can't and and, yeah. and so you just keep going but yeah so they were they were quite different experiences but mindhunter was still a, a, an absolute joy uh, to yeah. get to work on such an amazing show with such and 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 uh, Jonathan and and Holt, the two actors I worked with were probably the nicest, most generous actors I've worked with as a guest actor on another show. Sure. They were just amazing. Uh, Andrew was is uh, a brilliant, you know, he's just brilliant. And and uh, you know, uh getting to work on a David Fincher show was
1: I was know. pretty cool. Oh, <laughs> that's, I'm, th- that's he's awesome.
2: mez- he knows he's my idol. I have I have done podcasts on Mindhunter and taken apart. Every um, the blouses that Anna Torv wore as that character, I've taken wow. apart the wallpaper. It all means something. All the colors mean something. Anyway, but when you have wow. a this on your face, Damon, I'm just wondering that must be that must feel so uncomfortable and it must feel like you're wearing a mask. I mean, can, how do you act through that? How do you penetrate without I, I mean, was it difficult or were you just too tired to notice
0: Yes and no. I mean, Kazu, who did the makeup, designed the makeup, is such a genius that he does make it. You still can make expressions. You raise your eyebrows. You you, you know, that will still happen, even though what you're looking at in the show aren't even my eyebrows. You know, that, that, that right. whole thing is everything. Everything is prosthetic. I mean, it's yeah, it, it is weird. You do feel like you are sort of trapped in this other face and you do sweat um, underneath it as well. Right. Uh, which is you know that's a that's a another kind of nightmare for the makeup people during the day having to get this layer of kind of liquid from beneath <laughs> beneath uh-huh. your fake face and your real face look i think for everything that that makes it difficult you also have the incredible advantage of looking exactly like this real person and you can't quantify how much that that of a difference that makes both to me as the actor who who, who when every time i look in the mirror i'm like I, I'm Charles Manson. I look like Charles Manson. Like, yeah. you know, and then that that helps you then move as well because I've watched six months, oh, I've spent six months watching Charles Manson videos yeah. and yeah. suddenly I'm looking in the mirror and kind of seeing the guy, even the costume helped with that as well. And and suddenly you are able to, to more easily kind of um, sit and move and be him because of the fact that you, you have this incredible confidence of how much you look yeah, like him. Right. So there's just less work for right. so you to
3: do right we get a ton of actors who who listen to the pod and something that i that i noticed i, I read a rolling stone article from a couple years ago or a year and a half ago you first came to the us in 2000 yeah when you were 29 i guess yeah and got the green card you know the whole thing and mm-hmm. we we're here three months yeah yeah, yeah. They had, they had i think that, it was right?
0: 10 weeks it was not not even right. yeah <laughs>
3: And I, I have a very similar kind of la story to my first time here this is my third time living here but it seems you know, Scott has this amazing—the the thing that we were, that Lisa and I were really drawn to beyond just the show—was Scott's story of like yeah. having this film and then waiting X amount of time to like get to the point where he had creative control and could make the show with Nash that he wanted to make. And my question: so there's a similarity in terms of like not having that instantaneous kind of success and going away. Was there a moment for you where it was like? I'm not gonna worry about that. I'm just gonna do the work that's in front of me. And then that allowed you to, to have the kind of success that you've had over the last few years. I mean, was there a conscious kind of decision of like, okay, I'm not gonna pursue this gold ring like so many of us have yeah. done?
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, I think after that trip, which was so miserable, uh, I, I, you know, I, I came to LA really naively thinking that, because at that point I, I had been acting for 20 years because I'd would i I'd been acting as since I was a kid. So I, I kind of just thought, okay, well, this will just be like being in Australia, but there's even more work. And uh, <laughs> what you I kind of what I kind of didn't think through was the fact that, yeah, but why are they going to want to hire you? Like they've got tens of thousands of actors here. Most of them aren't working as it is. And I just thought that if you can act, you'll you'll get work right. And it's like no, no, it's not that it's not that simple. There needs to be. An angle of some kind. they have to they have to have something to talk about. Sometimes the thing they have to talk about is, oh, this nineteen year old kind of stud walked in the door, but that wasn't me. I was like this twenty nine year old character actor who had no credits they knew. So it's like, well, there's nothing to talk about that. I, I I kind of left with my tail between my legs and thought, okay, well, look, it was a horrible time, but I was actually fine because I'd really only ever gone. Not because I thought, you know, not because I had these kind of big Hollywood dreams. It was really, I, I call it regret insurance. I just didn't want to be in my rocking chair in my <laughs> 80s going, why didn't you ever try that? And I thought, okay, well, I tried that now. consider can sit in my rocking chair and go, no, I tried that. It didn't work. So it, it, it didn't really make me feel like, oh, I've missed an opportunity. I just thought, okay, that didn't happen. That was harder than I thought. If it hadn't been for the the, the, the little role I did in House of Wax, which was this horror film that shot in Australia. I would probably never have come back. I, I certainly don't know if I would have. I didn't have any other plans to come back. And I only came back to go to the premiere of that film because I thought it would be fun. And then I got an agent out of it.
3: Well, it seems oh. like American audiences, and I, I should probably only speak for myself, but it seems like American audiences are kind of discovering entertainment coming out of Australia. And I, for whatever reason, I looked up Anthony Lopaglia the other day because it's like, what happened to Anthony? And I, knew that, I know that he's an Aussie. He's doing a bunch of stuff there now, and he's doing stuff in Great Britain, but it's almost like he's kind of abandoned the States. And I think that with globalization, I mean, it's impacted every aspect of our life, but certainly true of entertainment as well. And I don't think America has a corner on the market anymore because we have all of these platforms. And the Lawson brothers have come over and done well, and obviously the the Hemsworth brothers, but Australia is putting out some amazing, Mr. In Between being a huge, it's almost like Australia has has its own like little corner of of really great entertainment that's happening
2: you should know that tj power has come in for me so many times for criminal minds too and i really wanted to cast him as a psychopath and it just never happened but what a great actor and he's uh, fantastic uh, isn't he yeah yeah anyway and a
1: lovely lovely guy uh, Damon, you just mentioned House of Wax. The first question I wrote, which was going to be an icebreaker, and I tossed it because it was a bit uh, kitsch, was, uh, uh, oh, hi, Damon. Uh, why was Paris Hilton so critical to your career? Ha, ha, ha. So <laughs> for the, for, for, for it those, clearly was. For, 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 yeah, well, for those of you who don't realise, House of Wax was uh, a movie, was it starring Paris? Um, I No, I confess it was Jared invasion,
2: Jared
0: yeah, Sarah okay. And uh, um, oh god, uh, the girl I've forgotten yeah, the girl's. Know, oh, A- 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 Alicia Cuthbert. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so there we go with that. But. Um, you mentioned the fact that you've been acting for 20 years, and as a tr- you're a child actor. We might put this in the show notes, but if you're going to hang up on us right now, I won't. That's you being on the Don Lane show at the age of eight, which I managed to dig up. Okay, wow. So yeah, yeah, Adorable. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a two-part question, really. You started acting so young, and you acted in virtually every Aussie soap that was going at one point or another. Two-part question. Number one, as a sandbox, how effective? Was it uh, for you to do all those soaps in Australia? Was it a a worthwhile process? Did you find that you developed skills and you had some chops that you could take to the US? And the second part was, how did you get started so young? Were your parents in the business, and how did it come about that you were acting from such a young age?
0: Um, I definitely think that you know there was a a, a training ground from doing those various Aussie series as a kid because it was the only training ground I had really, and and so you end up not only getting to work and and practice, I guess. You're also watching other actors, older actors who are good at what they do. And that definitely kind of seeps into your bones. So 100% that that was worthwhile. In terms of how I started, I... I, I got an agent when I was eight, as some kids do, and, and, and did just ads and things, commercials. The Sullivans just came about as a as an audition. Um it was a a general audition for Crawford Productions, who made a lot of the dramas in Australia at the time. Through that doing that general audition that the role that I ended up doing in the Sullivans uh, eventuated. And and then I just kind of went from almost job to job between the ages of 10 and 12. Right. Thank you.
2: Whatever age you are. I want to cast you in something. It must happen. I don't care what it is. I'm so oh, glad you. That you gave us the time here. We really appreciate it. Brian and I and Dean, we look at the things that we watch with a microscope. Oh, this is the one thing I want to say. What do you watch? What are you? I mean, you said you watch Mr. Inbetween, but like, what are you binging right now? What are you obsessed with right now? What is the best thing you've seen lately? It could be. Oh, you know.
0: boy. Um, I mean, I, I actually tend to watch. Documentaries more than I watch dramas, which is bad because I'm an actor and I should be supporting dramas. Um, but I, I mean, I just I just watched *Mera of Town*, which was fantastic. You know what? I've been busy lately, so I haven't watched a lot lately. But normally, you'll find me watching a, tr- a good true crime do- documentary movie or series. I'm I'm a sucker for those. They're kind of everywhere now.
2: Absolutely.
0: Uh, I don't know what it is about human beings that makes us want to watch horrible things Listen, that have happened.
3: If, if you haven't watched national geographic has a series narco wars that's unbelievable
1: oh yeah mm. oh really okay
3: fantastic. yeah yeah uh, it's it's a multi-episode like gets into colombia gets into mexico cartels now they're getting into the mobs role in in the drug oh, wow. trade in the 70s and 80s it's amazing
0: okay i'm sold I well, am sold. The,
2: the great thing about documentaries is that they end up being turned into TV shows
0: and into movies. <laughs> That's right. So, you,
3: as as Dewey, have one of the the most infamous lines ever spoke. The anus is on you. <laughs> right. So yeah. So the do you know the backstory of that? So VJ Boyd was the writer of that episode, and he was right. in Dallas, and I lived in Dallas for a time. That is actually he's in. He's a huge listener of this sports talk radio station out of Dallas and he incorporates, you can look him up online. He incorporates like shtick from that radio station in all of his scripts. And that line was actually said by a weekend host who, who hosts a golf show who said that to his co-hosts, like the anus is on you. And his co-host went the anus. (laughs) That is the real life story. (laughs) Yes. So we can cut that, but I just wanted to like reference that because that is fantastic. Oh, it's,
1: it's the ticket in Dallas Fort Worth.
2: Yeah, we're going to put that <laughs> clip immediately.
1: Speaking of binging, something I've lined up to binge that I just stumbled across and I'd never heard of it till I started researching you for this series. In um 2016 you did the um Cinemax series Quarry uh and and you played a and uh, role reversal from um Mystery Between You play a camp hitman in this series. And I've only watched snippets of it online, but I can't wait to binge it. But from what I've seen, is it just me or are there sort of comparisons with Mr. Inbetween? We've got lots of criminal violence, got an understated tone, critically acclaimed, great performances, but although commercially you could possibly damn as as successful as Mr. Inbetween has been critically, you could possibly damn it with the faint praise that it is a, you know, inverted commas, cult hit and Quarry only ran for one, uh, one series. You know, you've worked on both, obviously, Mystery in Between, but yeah. Quarry as well. Is it just my remote observation that they're kind of Look, similar because I haven't watched the whole series, or how did it work?
0: For you? They're tonally very different. Quarry is very much a drama, like, you know, uh, Mystery in Between. Sometimes I don't know whether to call it a drama or a comedy because it makes me laugh so much, but Quarry was very much a drama, and it was a beautifully made show. It, it was a... Uh, a, a travesty that that, ser- that series didn't go again. You know, it was it was made by HBO, screened on Cinemax. I think the feeling amongst those who worked on it was that if it had if it had screened on HBO, it would have been more in the right home oh, for it. Because uh, it was, uh, I mean, it it was critically acclaimed. I, I can't remember which newspaper, well, one of the major newspapers in America called it the best show of the year. Uh, it was it was fantastic. Uh, but just one of those one of those things where it um yeah it didn't it didn't find an audience and uh, or didn't find a big enough audience anyway.
2: Okay. There, there are so many shows that we've mentioned today with you, Damon, that I hope our listeners will go back and watch. I mean, yeah. I, I never watched Justified, and now I, I can't wait to. I mean, watching crazy Walter Goggins will make you happy any day. But <laughs> yeah, um, right. knowing, knowing that you're in it too, I just can't wait. And I'm so thankful for you for coming today.
0: My pleasure. One of the, the real joys about Mr. In Between and working on that is that. Americans love it, and it's 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 such an Australian show. I don't yeah. I don't quite understand yeah. how something so Australian appeals to Americans in the way that it does. But it fills
1: me with joy that it does. Yeah, I I participate in the Facebook Mister In Between page, and the Americans it's largely Americans, and they go off about the show. No. But right. the, the problem is, they say they just imagine and they go, oh, I love this show. Tell me the other 20 shows in Australia like this, and I'll binge them too. And it's like, dude, there's nothing yeah. else. There's nothing right. else quite like this. I'm sorry. You no.
0: know. Just- and 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 there probably wouldn't be even a, a mystery in between if Scott Ryan wasn't playing uh Ray Shoesmith, you know, for, for, for all the brilliance of the direction and the writing, it's also just his performance. That's just that thing that he has that's just unlike anybody. You I mean that smile who yeah, smiles I mean, like that? He yeah, makes you know, like all the time. <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, he's he's literally could not, there's not another actor on the planet who could play Ray Smith in the way that Scott Ryan does.
1: Yeah, credit to Nash and him for having uh, the balls and w- w- to just keep holding their ground on that because, you know, in interviews Nash has spoken. And Scott, when we spoke to him, related the fact that they had deals on the table that were really good deals, except it's like, no, the creative control wasn't there or it was like, no, but not not Scott and right. Nash. Scott just said, no, they kept saying, no, no, no. And I mean, Ray, in his interview, tells the story about how he's back at home driving cabs and delivering pizza going, well, maybe I screwed that up. But they held their nerve. So full credit to them.
2: So glad they did. Okay, we will let you go now. You've been just a joy. We can't wait to see what your next transformation will be. We can't wait.
1: (laughs) Yeah,
0: thank you, guys. It's been been a lot of fun. Thanks for chatting. Oh, thank you. So much, Damon.
2: All right, take care. Bye.
1: Bye. Bye. Bye.